with me to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38. This is indeed a most unusual passage. Genesis chapter 38. I fancy myself a woodworker. I'm normally covered with sawdust. I maybe even have a little bit on my shoes this morning. <laughs> I like to work with wood. Started with a circular saw I got for Christmas. Then I added a jigsaw, a bandsaw, miter saw, and finally a table saw. And every time I go down to the shop, Melanie reminds me, hey, be careful. Be careful. And I am. I'm very careful. I measure twice. I cut once. I think before I cut, and I always consider where my fingers are going to be as the wood travels through the blade. And after that, I end up using a push stick. Keep those fingers away. And I do that. I do that because I've been to too many lumber yards or big box stores acquiring wood or tools and seen too many people waving like this, you know? Yeah, I cut this off in 72 as that bandsaw. I always hated that, you know, and the stories of injuries that take place. And it's just a great reminder to be careful. Friends, this passage is just like that. It is a heavy, heavy warning to make choices carefully. What you do and how you do it with wisdom because there is a price to pay. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I pray now that your Holy Spirit move heavily in our worlds, in our minds, in our hearts, our spirits. Father, have your way with us. There is a truth here that every one of us can apply beginning today. So lead us through this morning's study. For your glory, for the good of your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 38, of course, uh, follows chapter 37. In my Bible it does, unless you turn it upside down. <laughs> And where we left off, you may recall, is uh, with Joseph. Joseph uh, being sent by his father to go check on his brothers because apparently they were quite troublesome. And we see evidence of that for when he is arriving and they see him from a distance, they plan to kill him. They hate this guy. You remember that? I mean, they could not speak peaceably to their brother. They hated him. His father showed favoritism. He bought him a suit when he bought his brother's overalls, you know, and he definitely set him up for this. Favoritism, what a terrible thing. And you may recall that when he arrived, they came up with a different plan. Why don't we make some money from this guy? They put him in a pit, and when some travelers came by, they sold him. The price of a boy, a child slave. Remember, this guy is a, just a child, 17 years old. And then to cover it up, they took the coat 
and they killed a goat. You'll remember that word, goat. It's a very important animal in all of these stories here, all of these accounts. And they dipped his coat, this robe, in blood and showed it to his father and said, we found this. We don't know what it is. Maybe you can recognize it. Jacob is distraught. And he's not the only one. You may recall Judah, when he found that the child was gone, said, "How? where can I go now? How can I do this? This child is gone, and I'm going to be responsible. And when we come to chapter 38, we find that it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers, perhaps couldn't stand being with his family in light of these events. He was most certainly a part of it, though. He went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira, friend of his. And we see that uh, there are a number of steps that uh, Judah takes place in just circling the drain here. The decision to sell his brother. Now perhaps you might say, yeah, but he did try to save his life. That was a good option. How about we go home and rethink all of this anger? That would have been a better choice. And so away from his family he goes. And we notice that he walked away from his family and he walked away from the Lord. Look at verse 2. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Okay, one thing that we want to be reminded of here, the Canaanites are idolaters. The Lord has over and over told them not to marry these Canaanites, for surely they will turn their hearts against the Lord. <coughs> so there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua, and he took her, and he went into her. That's the R-rated part. Gets worse, friends. And she conceived. And she bore a son. And he called his name Er. Not Er, just Er. And she conceived again. Which tells us an ongoing relationship with this Canaanite. She conceived again. And bore a son, and he called his name Onan. And yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. And Judah was in Kazid when she bore him. And then we have a little bit of a count of this family. Friends, one thing we know, that when you disobey God, it never ends well. There is no, got away with that one. Never gonna happen. Two reasons. God hates sin and God loves his children. Sin brings forth death. God will discipline his children and teach them not to sin. Perhaps you know what that's like. So here in verse 6, we read a little bit about his first son. And Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. 
arrange the marriages. Whew, missed out on that one, huh? <laughs> but Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. It doesn't tell us how. Perhaps he woke up and found he was dead. Perhaps it was an accident, but one thing we know is he was wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and he took his life. Then we will notice in verse 8, his second son, Onan, and he said to Onan, Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now what he has just told his son is that he should go and sleep with his sister-in-law and raise up a child for his brother. Let's all collectively say ick, all right? <laughs> well, what's going on here, friends, is this is Leverite marriage. Uh, the Latin lever means a husband's brother. And this was the duty of the day. And later in Deuteronomy, we're going to see that the Lord commands just this for the nation of Israel, not for you. Stay away from your in-laws, okay? All right. And I want to read a bit of this, if, if you don't mind here. This is the instruction, because it gives us a little fuller context. This is Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, and that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, the Lord has commanded these things. And if he refuses to do such a thing, we see, then his brother's wife shall go to the gate of the elders. Now the gate wasn't just the thing you passed through to get into town. Is where all of the business would, were to take place. This is the city hall of the city. And the wife, shall, uh, the, the wife, uh, brother's wife, shall go up into the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel and will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her. Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders. Bless you. And I mean that in the best of ways. Thank you. Verse 9, Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. You see, apparently God took the, the multiplication of the people of Israel seriously. From the very beginning, friends, we saw the instruction of God to be fruitful 
and multiply. And God's concern is the growth and continued existence of the nation of Israel. And this was part of the practice. There is no place in the Bible that says this is sin under these conditions. But this is the context in which we are. And so Judah has said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perpetuate your brother's name. Well, my friends, in verse 9, thank you. Thank you very much. But Onan, verse 9, knew that the offspring would not be his. Again, here's the rated R part here, friends, perhaps worse than that. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. Okay, feel free to go ick, but internally, please. And what he did, verse 10, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. You see, defying his responsibility in this covenant concern for himself. See, he didn't think about the nation, he didn't think about his brother, Onan only thought about himself. And as you and I know, that is the very definition of sin. Thinking only of oneself. Denying his responsibility. And so Judah, separating himself from the people of God, now finds himself with his family of wicked children. We come to verse 11, we find that he is not only separated from his family, he begins to lie to other people. Friends, when you start lying, you know you're starting to head down a road you need to turn back from. When you feel like, you know, I just won't tell them the truth, it's maybe time to rethink that. But notice here in verse 11, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until Shelah may grow, uh, my son, grows up. And then he tells us why. <laughs> For he feared that he would die like his brothers. Did he know all of his children to be wicked? Offensive to God? We don't know. But it sure seems like it. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. You will note that integrity is keeping your word even when the circumstances in which you gave it have changed. <coughs> yes, certainly. There have been times we said, you know what? I'll be there. I'll show up. I'll be there at 2. No, I'm coming early. I'm going to be there. And then different opportunities come along. Or perhaps difficulties enter our life. And, you know, it would just be easier just not to go. And so what do you do? You call them up because... For heaven's sake, you're not just going to let them look for you there. You call them and then you lie to them, right? And say, you know, I'm having uh, car problems. Uh, I've got to take my nephew's cousin's daughter to the doctor's office today. Friends, you're heading down a dark road. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. 
You seem silly, but you need to say that and think about that. It's true, isn't it? You're people of truth. And so now he has lied to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He joining his sons and not doing what the Lord has called him to do to perpetuate the situation. And friends, as the dream continues to swirl in this chapter, we see his separation from the family of God and lying to other people now leads him into idolatry. Say, man, that's a big jump. No, it's not. No, it's not. Notice with me, if you will. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, she was daughter died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep uh, shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adomite. And when Tamar was told, hey, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Anim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. Scorned, she feels. And here he is socializing the sinner. Notice verse 15. When Judah saw her, this is terrible, friends. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. So he turned the other way and went home and prayed. But it doesn't say that, does that? He thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he turned to her on the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, well, what will you give me that you may come in to me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat. Three times in this passage. From the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, and he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, your signet ring, your cord, which would go around the waist, and a staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away. And taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood, and when Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her, and he asked, take a deep breath here, friends. He asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute? You know what a cult prostitute was the Canaanite's idea of worship, worshiping false gods. He entered into this relationship of worship with this Canaanite prostitute. Friends, 
make keep short accounts with the Lord. At no time are we reading that Judah falls on his face and asks the Lord for forgiveness for what he has done to his brother. He runs and he hides. And sin continues to take him deeper in this journey to the point of idolatry. Socializing with sinners, giving into temptation, and paying the price. Look at verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. And Judah went, Immoral? Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality, and Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And so here is Judah's hypocrisy on display. You see, Judah knows exactly, well, not yet, but he's about to learn that it wasn't just Tamar. Verse 25, and as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are. And friends, this is precisely what they did to their father. Can you identify this? We don't know. We found this. Can you identify this? The signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, she. And he did not know her again. That's conviction, my friends. Finally, Judah comes to a point and recognizes his sin and confesses it. But not to the Lord yet. And the wonder of this all, friends, the big twist of this story is that God used Judah in a gigantic way. And not only that, he used these whole events. Because I'll tell you what, if God doesn't use sinners, who's going to be left for God to use? You'll notice here in verse 27, when the time of labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a little scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Twins. You may have noticed that twins equals trouble in the word of God. <laughs> Certainly in the book of Genesis struggles they are. But therefore they named him Perez, which means breach. And afterward he came out with a scarlet thread on his hand and his name was Zerah. And that's the end of the chapter. But the significance of this, my friends, is when you turn to the New Testament and you go to Matthew chapter 1, well, there you find Tamar in the line of Christ. In Paris. 
And so the Lord used this event as part of the trail that leads to his son. Remember, friends, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Have you forgotten that so quickly? Remember that covenant? The covenant with Abraham was a covenant of blessing, both personal, ultimately he would make of him a great nation, and through that nation would come blessings to the fam all the families of the earth. And he used Judah to bring about Jesus, a sinner. Friends, if he doesn't use sinners, that's no excuse. Stop that. If you're thinking, well, then maybe it's not so bad. Shame on you, you people out in TV land. <laughs> Certainly is worthy of more. Certainly is worthy of more. So what's the whole purpose of this sordid chapter anyway? What's going on here? Is it really just that? Well, I would suggest to you, historically, of course, you know, we find out who this Tamar and Perez is and Jesus' genealogy. Morally, it is a warning to us. It is a warning of the dangers of immorality and the Lord's discipline. It is also a testament to God's grace. Over and over, we would ask ourselves, why would God use this bunch of people? It demonstrates the need for Christ, and it exhibits how great God's grace is. Oh, His grace is great, even to save a chap like me. And perhaps in the whole storyline, it is a contrast. We get to see the great darkness of this chapter. But when we turn the page, we see a young boy who has the character that a man should have after all of the years of learning and training. Contrast. And you also note that the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Judah is the tribe of kings. We get to chapter 49, Jacob blessing his children. He will make mention of such a thing. It is from the tribe of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, from the tribe of Judah. Anything related to Judah is vital in the story of Genesis. And without this chapter, we'd have no idea. It was this Tamar and Perez character. But we are also reminded of this. Despite how great Joseph is as a man who stands against immorality, the only hero of the Old Testament is God. The only one who is perfect is God. So hear me when I say this, friends. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you far more than you're willing to pay. It's not worth it. There's no such thing as a little sin, my friends. Sin begets more sin. It grows like a cancer, worse than a cancer because it destroys everything. 
and the people around us. Write it down, my friends. Write it down. Sin will, will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you want to pay. Write it down. Put it on top of your television. Put it in the entry of your house. A reminder constant. It is not worth the cost. Wages of sin is death. If not for the grace of God, we should all burn for eternity. Repent. Repent of your sin as Judah should have from the beginning. Repent. And choose slowly, my friends. And the way that I stand before my table saw and I look at the cuts and I say, where will my hands be? Choose slowly because the consequences are eternal. You will stand one day before Jesus and all of these things will be evident. He's surely worthy of Yes, you might say sin is popular. Hey, everyone's doing it. It's part of our nature. But you have a choice. A shoe sin. Anybody know what the word a shoe means anymore? I know Bill does. Hey, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Stay away. Friends, Book of Proverbs, we have this beautiful picture of people who continue to wallow in their sin. It is like a dog who vomits and then goes back for a bite. That is sin. That is sin in the presence of God. That is sin. Don't eat your vomit. Don't eat it. Okay, I've got to be done by now. Friends, do you get it? Stop it. Stop it. I plead with you. I don't judge you. I'm preaching to myself. Stop. Stop. Fight it. Fight it for you can. Father in heaven, help us. We're not able. We continue to fall. We continue to fail. We believe the lies of the evil one. We just eat it up. Oh, God, deliver us from sin. Yeah, you have given <coughs> us your Holy Spirit. We have all that we need to say no. But we keep saying yes. Convict us, I pray, Father. Steal our sleep away from us. Take away our appetites, Lord. The food would taste like ashes in our mouth. And we would be reminded every day. Stay away from the rebellion against you. Price is just too high. And I pray it in Jesus' name.